This is Coda Radio, episode 110, for July 14th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hello, Mr. Fisher. <laughs> Hello. That was weird. I, I talked and I did not unmute. And uh, yeah, so professionalism. You know, you know what you do is uh, when you get to the professional levels, when you just do a real quick Skype blame. Oh, Skype. Ah, it was Skype. Oh, yeah, Skype. Oh, my uh, bad. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, I, got, uh, I got something I have to confess to you right at the top of the show. And we got a good show coming up. Mike wants to talk a little bit about tools. We got some amazing feedback from you guys. And uh, depending on time allowance, there's another topic we might slip in there. But I have to start with this. Stop the show. Nothing more important than this. I chipped one of my molars big time last night. And just like you could blame Skype, I'm blaming the popcorn seed and not years of negligence. Yeah, I'm going to go with the years of negligence, actually. <laughs> oh, man. It is really bad, Mike. Like, uh, So... Um, I have a filling in the chi- in the tooth that chips, so what's left is like one side of my tooth and then the filling in there, and then like the other side of my tooth is like pretty much gone, and like I keep like forgetting about it, and then like my tongue feels it, and I'm like, oh what? Oh yeah, that's right, I have a hole in my mouth, and I gotta go get that fixed. When am I gonna go to the dentist and get that fixed? I ask you that, Mike. I got a business to run. I got work to do. I got stuff to take care of. That's right. That's right. So yeah, that's that was my that was my yesterday. I got off from the Linux Action Show, got home, chipped a tooth on popcorn. It was pretty awesome. But that doesn't stop us from reading some feedback. So why don't we start with uh, an email from Bobby? And uh, this isn't really too related to anything we've been talking about. But I he 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 wrote in, and it's something that I have been wondering about myself. He says uh, one of the biggest contributions to the Node.js community. Uh, is leaving it for Go. He, this guy, uh, contributed to Express, Jade, Mongoose, Redis, Socket.io. In a recent blog post, and he links us to that, he talks about his issues with the ecosystem and how he's just had enough. This is TJ Holloway, Chuck, or I don't know. Yes, you know, yeah, I've seen actually a bunch of these recently. uh, Yes. Why I'm ditching Node for Go, and, and, you know, half of that sentence brings ah, just rainbows (laughs) and unicorns. It's just great. (laughs) Right, really. Of course. Yeah. I, I have two, and that's why it's really interesting that uh, Bobby wrote in. He says, here's what he wants to uh, uh, posit to us, Mr. Dominic. He says, does this mean that the honeymoon period for Node.js has ended and people are going to focus back on more mature and stable technologies, or are they moving to the next hotness, whatever that is? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for the great show, Baba. My friend, the cool kids have moved on. <laughs> no, really, they're moving to the next hotness. Um, there are things that you might not like about Node, certainly that I don't like about Node, but a lot of this is moving on to the new hotness, right? Although I feel like, Chris, that Node did not last as the new hotness very long. Well, is it like, is it not the new hotness anymore, or is it, um, gosh, you know, like, 
Everybody thinks that this new tool can solve the problem, and then it turns out, well, okay, about half of the problems we wanted to solve were actually useful for this. It was useful for this. So it's not that people are pulling back. It's just we're now going back to what we probably should have reasonably been at in the first place for use case scenarios. What about that? So it's not like everybody's burning out. It's just uh, it wasn't the right tool for those for those gerbs. Maybe. I I mean, so the things people are doing with Node and the things you would do with Go, I mean, I guess there's some overlap there, but not a whole lot. Right? Inappropriate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although I mean, Google makes a lot of sense for folks like Google, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Just stroke it a little bit. Whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> Get it out of here. I'm sorry. Whoa. That RMS gets in here from time to time. He he does. He runs our pre-show. Sometimes he doesn't leave. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so our. Uh, our next email comes in from Ian, and uh, he says, hey, guys, love the show as an open source lover. And, man, Mike, Ian really needs our help. Check this out. He says, as an open source lover and someone who promotes open source tools, Linux, and other open source applications, is it bad practice or looked down upon to consider doing software consulting based on pre-existing open source products for a profit? I have stumbled upon a few of these types of businesses recently. I just would love to help a small business and other individuals out in the realm of IT without the overhead cost of software licensings from products and projects from Microsoft or other related type technologies. Uh, he says, I, I, uh, I especially don't want to sell out open source projects for my own personal gain. I hope you guys can understand my question as I just want to share open source love. Thanks, guys. Ian. Mike, did you want to start on this one or should I start? You start, because I, you know, I kind of not sure I understand what his question is. So what his what he is having a hard time with is uh, he sees companies and they need a problem solved, and there's like an open source project that you could just go grab, install, and problem solve. Uh, maybe it's you know like uh, you know GitLab or what whatever anything, right? It could be um, a, a wiki, for example. Let's say it's MediaWiki, right? And uh, they need a they need a wiki, and he wants to know if it's immoral. Immoral, amoral, what I don't know. If it's bad, if it's frowned upon, to take an open source project and implement it for a company and charge them for it, since what you're charging them for is the install, installation and implementation of a free product. Um, I see what he's saying now. I, I no. I the answer is no. I okay, oh my no no. Go. I mean, all first right. of all, first all of right. all, I mean, okay. This is how the system works. These open source projects are created and then they get implemented. But it needs – when you are implementing an open source project, you are using your expertise. You're not exploiting the project. You're exploiting your own skills and experience in deploying okay, something like if that. You're just, if you're just like writing a GUI wrapper over like diff. No, it's you know, fine. It's fine. No. Really? Yes, because okay. the company that you are doing it for could never have done it without you. They could never have accomplished the thing that they needed to make their business work in the way they needed. They could have never done it if you didn't do it or someone like you doesn't do it. So it is 100% value add, absolute straight up, no question about it. Now, where the moral comes in is how much you charge them and how many hours it takes you to do it. If it's something like you're talking about, that should be like a 30-minute job, right? And you don't charge them for any more than that. You don't charge them like $10,000. That's where the moral aspect comes in. Uh-huh. Open source projects need people to do this. This is how they get adoption and use. You're not right, hurting but, the project. But, you're helping you, them. I mean, all right, let me walk you through a thought experiment. So I use open source. I release open source. Granted, not like, you know, open source I release is like crappy little 
utilities that only very specific people would use. Um, but I do use like generic open source stuff, right? Everything I do is built upon yeah. some form of Unix, basically. Right. Whether it's Linux with Android or iOS with BSD or Mac, whatever, or even though the servers are Linux using Docker, I guess it's the same thing. I don't know. To me, there's still like a line of, of skeeziness if you're just like. Well, so like take uh, there's there are certain things that I've installed for clients that are literally like, you know, you go extract it to a directory, you start the service and you're done. And then they just have to go fill out the information. Maybe sometimes I help them do that. Maybe not. But you see what it what it comes down to is it is actually beneficial to the customer for you to be deploying and doing something with open source software. Uh, not not only does it help you charge them a more reasonable rate and get their work accomplished for a more reasonable cost, sometimes you know the software side could be totally free, which is saving them money. So that is good for them right there. They love that. Keeps the bill low. That's good for you. That's good for them. But the Bro, other I, thing I, is if it's open source and you walk, that means the next guy that comes in has a really damn good shot of making sure it keeps working for that company. And so by you choosing to implement an open source thing for them, that gives them long-term viability should they choose to have somebody else do their IT services down the road. Yeah, I guess I maybe misunderstood. I mean, obviously, that's something I push all the time, right? Leverage open source rather than proprietary software solutions so you can avoid the you know billing changes. Um, I'm thinking in particular about SQL Server, as Chris, I'm sure, will be happy to tell you what those <laughs> builds look like. hey oh. Uh, I guess, like, in the terms of actually selling software itself, I I still feel like, you know, there's a bunch of apps out there that are yeah, literally... Yeah, selling the software. Uh, that's what I, I guess that's what I took as email more to mean, and I, I realize now that that's not a right way to I think you could sell that. service around the software, but you can't go in there... Like, there's a story that was uh, going through the uh, Linux Action Show subreddit over the weekend that LibreOffice is in the Windows uh, software store for, like, two bucks or something like that, three bucks. Right. And, you know, everybody's all up in arms. Somebody's charging $3 for open source software. I think it's actually technically legal. I think the GPL uh, allows for that. However, it's definitely immoral, I think. <laughs> and so, you know, if you go to a client and say, yeah, let me, let me, uh, I'll sell. You know what I used to see a lot, Mike, back in the day? It wasn't so much open source software. It was IT shops that were pirating Office and then, like, buying really? one license of, or whatever before activation was a thing and then selling that one license to all of their clients. And so everybody, all of their clients were, like, using the same keys and stuff. And they didn't know it because the IT shop manages all of that. And that is definitely immoral. I mean, that, that is, that's, that's actually the more common practice, and that's... That's absolutely in, in you know in, in the negative and the freedom dimension. I don't know. See, I get, I get, I, I think because it's funny because I think where Ian comes from is he feels bad because these developers are donating their time, aka money in a sense, because time equals money and value. So donating their value, and he feels bad now for going and getting money by uh, basically off their backs. But that's why they're making the code, and those projects need people to implement them. So go for it, Ian. And I say good for you because that means you're also delivering your customers a long time, a long term viable solution in a lot of cases. Uh, okay, now uh, we got some feedback on our lean and what it can or cannot mean. John writes and he says, "Hello, just want to comment about the recent Coda Radio discussion that used lean as a buzzword." Uh, I work for a certain large financial company that makes certain accounting software that rhymes with brick cooks. You might be able to figure out what that is. Brick cooks. Hmm. Brick. 
Uh, we're currently going through a rebranding phase, and buzzing wor- buzzwords are tossing around like salad. Start bragging about how lean you'll be because you'll practice agile every day, and suddenly everyone is eating it up, especially middle management. I think most enterprises like buzzwords because they're almost always synonyms for efficiency. But the reality is the bigger you get, the harder it is to be light and nimble. It's hard to stop a freight train once it's picked up steam, which is why CEOs are paid so much to make smart, intelligent decisions that are based on expectations for years to come. And these decisions are usually well thought out, not tested haphazardly. Buzzwords are like fishing lures that are created by the little guys so they can catch one of the big guys by the pocketbook. Love the show, John Farson. Wow. Love that insight. <laughs> That's great. And you know he's coming from a big company because we both know where he, what company that is. And, uh, you know, he's totally nailed it. I like his buzzwords are like fishing lures that are created by the little guys so they can catch one of the big guys by the pocketbook. It's exactly what it is in, in, in large companies. You know, sometimes small companies use it, too, to try to sound big. Buzzword, uh, you know, if you buzzword up your, your app description, right, maybe you'll sound like a big company, things like right, that. Right, right, right. I also notice a lot of independent developers will use we instead of I when they're the only person working on the project. The only, but when they write something up on the website or in an app description, they'll say, we updated this, we applied this bug fix, you know, and it's like, who's we? Just own it. I, you know, let them know it's a guy he's working on or a gal and she's putting all of her effort into this. And this is like you're supporting this independent creator. But everybody kind of falls back on these buzzwords and these and these um, uh, what uh, these, uh, you know, these we type. I can't forget what it's called. The uh, the royal we type uh, phrasing. Uh, all right. We got to keep moving on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going on and on. Jim writes in on a follow up about uh, your discussion around management last week. He says, good code radio as usual regarding going into management. I studiously avoid it. The highest I've ever gone and ever want to go is tech lead, except once where I was a partner in a software company, and I really didn't like many aspects of that because you have political infighting, differing views of company direction, etc. Actually, managing people like performance reviews and trying to keep people happy, etc. seems like hurting cats to me. Mike mentioned how he's seen TTD decline in popularity. That may be true. But I think the reason maybe that people are doing it wrong, and he says myself included to some extent, I recently watched a presentation by Ian Cooper called TDD, Where Did It All Go Wrong? And today I shared it with my team over lunch. It really resonated with me, so I thought I'd share it with the Coda Radio audience. And here's a link. And uh, so go look for uh, this email. And in there he has got a link to infoq.com. TDD-original is what they call it on their site. Uh, finally, the denial of 501c status for Yobra. We also touched on that last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the reason that uh, somebody might use an open source software for commercial purposes greatly concerns me. It's wrong in so many ways that I'm not going to try and get into it in an email. Keep up the great show, Jim. Yeah, that's one that uh, I'm still kind of trying to chew on and figure out what exactly that means. But well, You know, it was funny because when we mentioned on the show, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's just the IRS doing what they do best. But then I'm like, wait a minute, the implications, if they actually get a court ruling that says, Open source software that is used in any kind of commercial enterprise is no longer considered, right? They can't do the org charity thing that they've been doing, the 501c charity. Right. Well, what about, a, what about an open source tool that's shipped in a popular platform like Android? Well, I think it only hurts the open source people, right? It, it means that now these open source projects are going to be more reliant on corporate backing. Yeah, so to recap from last week, uh, it came out that Yobra, the creators of Shotwell and Geary and... Um, Another good app that I'm blanking on. 
um, they were denied uh, nonprofit status by the IRS because their open source software was used by some companies in a commercial capacity. And what that raised the red flag for us because that sounds like a lot of open source projects. And I think that's kind of what Mike's just saying there. So Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, you know, before we go on, uh, we got a, two, I think one or two more emails. Let me see. Uh, we've got, I think, one. Yes, we do. We have two. Actually, we have two more emails, and they're both on the topic of burnout and some good stuff, too, some really good stuff. So I want to take a, just a moment right here, right now, and uh, thank, thank our friends over at DigitalOcean. That's right. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERJULY when you check out. Because it is the month of July, my friends. So Coder July will get you a $10 credit. Now, why would you want a $10 credit? What would you use that $10 credit for? What would be the compelling reason to use Coder July? I'll tell you. Digital Ocean. Let me tell you about them, okay? Simple cloud hosting. Dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. I've been a user of DigitalOcean now for many months, and I've just recently spun up yet another droplet over DigitalOcean because it's my go-to solution. Now, why? It's got to be the value. User can create a cloud server in less than 55 seconds. So I knew I could get up and run, running with this system in under a minute. That means my deployment time is zero. I'm not going to wait around. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time provisioning a server. That just totally, releases, totally reduces any friction for me just to deploy a new system. I love that. But here's what I get for only $5 a month. 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, which means my IO density is awesome. I don't need to have an old RAID array like I used to have back in the day. I have it all on a super fast SSD connected to a blazing fast CPU, which goes out over tier one bandwidth, and I get a terabyte of transfer, all for $5 a month. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. Their interface rocks. It is simple. The control panel is intuitive, and power users can replicate it at a much larger scale with their straightforward API. It's a really nice API, too. They also have hourly pricing. So think about that. Go use the promo code CODERJULY with the hourly pricing and do your testing. You need to do some Q&A. You want to have maybe more than one person work on it. It's just much easier to throw it up on a droplet. Plus, they can take image snapshots, so you can just redeploy it and turn it on, turn it off when you don't need it. You get root access, multiple distribution choices to deploy, DNS management built in, HTML5 console written in Go. All right there for their system. And with that hourly pricing, you can just run it for a little bit, and that CODERJULY $10 credit will get you quite a ways pretty awesome system. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, see what I've been talking about, see how great they are, see why Mike uses them, and see why I've been using them and why I just set up another DigitalOcean droplet. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERJULY. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, Mike. So let's get to the burnout stuff because we got some really good stuff that came in here that kind of brought a smile to my face when I read it first. Uh, first one comes in from Nicholas... And he says, hey, guys, I've been thinking about that burnout topic from a few weeks back, and I've gone through this myself. Our industry is too much like fashion. It loves trends and names. Gosh. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I said. Once the industry jumps on a topic, tech news sites, bloggers, and book publishers beat it to death. I can use functional programming as an example. I love functional programming. Haskell. Uh, he says Haskell, not JavaScript. And there, are, there was a large boom roughly between 2010 and 2013. It's still very big, but I think JavaScript and its technologies are stealing the spotlight now. At the time, I thought functional programming was going to cure cancer. Now I use the right tool for the right job. I have a rule of thumb for minimizing burnout. Okay, here we go. 
My advice is to follow the platform, not the language. Java because popular in the Java is popular in large part due to the JVM, not because Java is a beautiful language. Trust me, oh, I know. I write yeah. Java every day. <laughs> he said Ruby did not become popular on its own. Rails brought Ruby to web application development True. like nothing before. I'm currently working on game development, HTML5 and JavaScript, not because I love JavaScript, but because I think HTML5 is a good platform for my needs. It's best to lag behind trends for one to two years. Let the fashion mature before using it. Spend most of your time on being a better person, not being a better programmer. Your programming will be more fruitful if you're happier. Thanks, Chris and Michael. Nicholas. Wow. Is that not a great email or what? Nailed it. You know, it hits the core of the issue, doesn't it? Yeah, and he's so right, too. Like, if you if, if programming is an innate to you, if you're happier, if you're more balanced, then when you do decide to sit down and program, you're going to be better at it. You know, chasing the latest trend isn't right. what's going to make you the better programmer. Being a better person is. And it sounds a little corny, but it's it's totally legitimately true. Love it. All right, one last one on the burnout topic, and uh, and then we will uh, move on. So PT Dave, who's in the chat room right now, hopefully get, come in with some great title suggestions. You guys know you can watch Coda Radio Live. We do it at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv. Come hang out with us. You get the pre-post show, and you get to help us title the show. Uh, P.T. Dave wrote in, who knows about the live stream, and says, Hey, Chris and Mike, a while back I wrote in with a reply about how much burnout I was having and being unable to keep up with my projects. Well, since then, I did a few changes, added a donation feature that will disable advertisements in his app. To my surprise, a lot of people are willing to donate for your effort or to not see ads. While the app is simple, and indeed for mostly developers, it's generated around $100 this year when counting advertisements. Just want to share and hopefully inspire others to add a donation feature. PT Dave. He says, from burnout to a little pocket change. You know, Mike, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping people on this show. I I want to destroy the development world. I want all services to be free so I can get more signals and monetize. I'm sorry. Did I confuse I'm, myself? I'm sorry. What? I'm so- <laughs> uh, I, I, I keep getting myself and Larry Page confused. I think that we should all make those businesses fail. And we need to teach Canonical a lesson. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about tools. Uh, should, should I do a, a Linux Academy spot real quick before we do that? Or do you uh, – I don't know how long you think you're going to go on tools. So I'm probably going to get on a rank because I'm starting with Larry Page and working my way Okay. Down, all so. right. I'll just, I'll just mention this really quick because uh, this is such a great offer, and then uh, we'll, get right, we'll get right into it. Uh, so go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you guys. Seriously, this is a great deal. You're going to get a discount that you don't want to miss. And Linux Academy is a monthly service, and you're going to want it because they're adding new courses all the time, everything from developing uh, uh, to AWS deployments to just the basic Linux fundamentals. They have seven-plus distributions that you get to pick from, too, and they'll automatically adjust the courseware to the distribution you choose. That's pretty cool. Step-by-step courses, too, so you get to check yourself as you go. You get At the beginning, you'll get a little introduction of what's up, of each major section of the, of the course. They have video guides. You can download really rich content material that you get to store offline and keep. We've heard from listeners who like to download some of these uh, audio files and listen to them when they're going, so they're still learning. So even when they can't sit at the computer. And then you get to come back, take your course, and then test yourself. You're the boss. It's your pace. You learn what you want. They have tons of great courses. Really, so many great stuff added all the time. AWS Certified Developer, AWS SysOps Administrator. 
They also just added the uh, another level of the SysOps course. They've got all kinds of great stuff, and they integrate it with Live Labs. So when you're taking the courseware, if you need to implement something on the server, they just spin up a VM for you in the back end. If it's AWS, they manage that. They take they handle all of the AWS billing for you because it's all part of your service. And they're new courses, two to three new courses a week. So when you wrap up one, you go on to the next. This is going to give you that edge, right? If you've been thinking maybe things have gotten a little stale or maybe you need to find a new course, if you're looking to kind of find what it is that particularly drives you, you know you want to work in the technology field or you know you want to move into a new area, but you're not sure which one you're going to gain traction with, use this as an opportunity to go in and do their real-world labs. You actually do a deployment from end to end. Get a web application up and running. Get a Linux server deployed. Set up a file server. Get DNS working. Get a firewall, a router, all of that. You go through it. You get all of the courseware. You get an idea if that resonates with you. All for one low monthly fee when you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you got to go, linuxacademy.com slash coders to find out more. Also, just to take a look, that lets them know you appreciate them sponsoring the show. I think this is truly one of those sponsors I'm exceptionally proud to have because they really are a great fit for our audience. But it only works if you guys check them out, linuxacademy.com slash coders. I really think this is something all of us can benefit from. I have an active subscription myself. I'm taking some courseware. Even just keeping myself up to date, I feel, helps me do better show presentations. And they have support for team and groups, too. So if you're in a company or a team of folks and you all want to get in there, they got support for that, too. Linuxacademy.com. Save 20%. That's only $20 per month, and they're adding stuff all the time. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, and a big thanks to Linux Academy. All right, so when I think of tools, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking software. I'm thinking, uh, you know, like uh, Sublime Text. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Git, right? What, what are you talking, Mike? What are you, what are you thinking? No, I'm thinking Larry Page, Johnny, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see where you're going. You mean that kind of tool now. <laughs> so I'm thinking about tools... You know, Chris, we've we've tried we've tried to make application development easier in our time. We've also tried to make crashing your car in front of my house that much easier. Whoa, really? Does that just happen? Is that a thing? Uh, people like to hit parked cars in front of my house. It's oh. a big deal. That's okay. So you know, uh, okay, this is serious. Um, for the last couple of Thursdays, when I've been recording a tech snap, as we wrap up about the last forty minutes of tech snap. There's been somebody playing bagpipes very loudly in the community. They're out in the front area, out walking around like uh, in the common like road in front of people's garages. Right. And I actually really like bagpipe music. But when you're recording a show, it actually shows up on mic a little bit because it's just the sound of bagpipes. Turns out it's actually a Jupiter Broadcasting viewer unintentionally trolling us. How about that for a small world? <laughs> is it really? Yeah, just some random person that's walking down the street playing bagpipes is a Jupiter Broadcasting uh Listener, and I found out because they sent in as a faux show summer project award. They sent in learning the bagpipes, and then we put everything together and found out who it was. And turns out, yeah, so things are happening. And then the other thing is, is uh, people like to mow their lawns a lot around here. So constantly yes. with the, which is distracting when you're trying to work. It's distracting when you're doing a show. It doesn't matter what your work is. Somebody mowing their lawn, and then like they take so long. They take way longer than they should. I don't understand why it takes them so long to mow their lawn, but it takes them forever, even though they're tiny yards. So I understand your frustration, is what I'm saying. Indeed. Yeah. So anyway. Um, <laughs> that tangent. That was a weird tangent. So, you know, we, we've got all these great tools, right, to design user interfaces, all these whiz-bang, drag it together. Right. And they all suck. Inevitably, they always suck. Right. So I kind of wanted to take a, a quick evaluation of, like, how are we designing UIs these days, right? Because, uh, you know, let's start with Apple because, you know – 
the haters need to start writing before the show's over. I would say in terms of a UI designer, Apple probably has the best one in Interface Builder, or now Xcode if you weren't around. But it's still not that good, right? Mm. <laughs> like it, 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 I mean, it's fine, but as as you know, as you need to care about multiple screen sizes, it becomes harder and harder and just less practical to really rely on your storyboard or interface builder files. Um, at least in my opinion, right? Taking a look at it, you know, from a, a Linux perspective, I've been doing a little bit, but Glade, Glade is still terrible. I hear that a lot, yeah. Like Glade is like back to the Java yeah. late nineties strings and struts. I mean that's that's awful. Yeah, I hear it's like a really bad impression if you come into your all right, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna check out what's going on, a Linux development and you fire up Glade and I hear most developers just nope out. Like, nope. And Eclipse it, it, is not much better either, my friend. People are not thrilled about Eclipse. It's workable at least. Yeah, Glade in particular, though, is shameful, like, how, how bad that is. <laughs> I gotta go find the screenshot, because I don't think I've seen it in probably five years. But not only does it look like ass, which perpetuates the Linux people don't know design, it kind of doesn't work, or it works in a way that isn't logical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's man. terrible. Um, you know, Visual Studio has a... So Visual Studio is a sneaky little bitch, isn't it? Because they have a couple UI designers. Now, right? what about Qt Creator, though? Like, if you go on the Linux side, you, isn't that more of a direction you'd want to look so, at? So we're getting there. We're getting there. We're, we're working, oh, okay. our, way, All right, okay, we're working our way around. Gotcha. All right. So Visual Studio has the old designer, WinForms designer. Doesn't make me want to punch kittens as much as Glades does, but <laughs> it's still not very good, right? Then they have the XAML designer. Now, are you familiar with XAML at all there, Chris? Uh, no, I was thinking maybe Xamarin, but that's not what you're talking about, right? Oh, I, I have something on Xamarin, too. Yeah. I may have secretly been doing Xamarin. Oh, goodness. Uh, Zummel? Is that what you said? Zummel? Who's Zummel? No, what did you ask me? What have I heard of? Uh, XAML. X-A-M-L. No, okay, I have not heard of this. So it is, don't call it XML, XML layouts for Windows. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, WPF, uh, goodness. Yep. Yeah, it, well, it's yeah, it's a little different, but basically, less terrible than certainly. I mean, nothing's as bad as Glade, but is this know, like QML only Microsoft style? No, it sucks more than QML. So it, it it's very XML-y in the way it looks. I mean, if you take a look at that syntax, I see you're bringing it up. Yeah, yeah, I got it right here. It, it, it's very XML-esque, right? Like, very, yeah, <laughs> exactly XML-esque, <laughs> which in itself is terrible. But doable, right? You can live with XAML, and XAML has some neat tricks with data binding, and, and you know you can bind your data models to your UI, which I still think is a bad way to develop software. That whole M- MVVM model, but you can do it if you want to. Um, okay. Now let's jump over to the Qt side of the force. All right. They have Qt Creator. Yeah, buddy. What do you think? Lay it on me. It is okay. Yeah. Which is, you know, it. it I would say it's slightly less usable than Xcode. Shows the most promise, though, right? For but it shows the most promise, and and it, you know it's. I feel like it's the closest contender to Interface Builder. Yeah. But you know what I've been doing, Chris? Hmm. I've been writing my UIs and code recently. Just straight up writing it. Because the, uh, granted, I've been doing a ton of Android. Um, the, <laughs> that's when we forgot the Android UI designer yeah. will, will make you cry blood. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that is, and, and I'm not even talking about the old Eclipse one. 
Right. Even the new Android Studio IntelliJ one is just. Right. I mean, to call you, that a GUI designer is an insult to. Really, it's that bad. Well, you can't use it. It's not functional, right? Like, you want to drag a button on a certain space. Not possible. You know, it doesn't work. Well, it's beta. You know, it's beta. <laughs> no, even in Eclipse, it's it's trying to force you into the Android paradigm, which is fine. But the reality is, the Android paradigm just you're better off editing the damn XML file because mm. you'll get more of what you want, and you'll get there faster. My opinion. Again. Send your hate mail to alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Right. Uh, all right. So uh, you were going on. So QT Creator. Promising. Promising. Now, I just want to pause right there for a second. Why is this a problem we still have? Yeah, good question. Who, who saw, is it Visual Studio? Is that where this problem is solved the best? No, I think this problem is solved the best. And I'm going to get there by Xamarin Forms, to be honest with you. I could see it. I mean, that's like what the company's dedicated to doing. Because you can, you can use XAML because they do support all the Microsoft crap. But honestly, no, don't. You write in this weird pseudo C sharp scripting language. You just write your UI in code, and it's a very condensed, very dense language in terms of describing the layout in as few uh, few characters as possible. Hmm. I found it far more effective. Now on the on the QT side, QML, right? Like, if you look at Xamarin Forms and QML, you can see that what Xamarin has done with Xamarin Forms is basically there's definitely some shared lineage, not, not actual lineage, right? Because one C sharp one's not, but, but philosophy and concepts for sure, right? Like QML looks like a more rudimentary version, which makes sense. QML is a little older. You know, you could see that that's the direction they took a look at it and said, okay, well, this is a great idea. Right. Even Apple has added a layout language, not Swift, right? But they've always had this weird, since they started doing the, uh, oh, auto-resizing stuff. I forgot what they call that. I forgot the API is called. But people who develop on Apple will know what I'm talking about. They've had that weird uh, constraint language. Yeah. It seems like, and this might just be me becoming crotchety, that if I need to do a layout, I'm better off doing it in code. Now, that doesn't mean I'm writing layouts in Objective-C, right? That doesn't mean if I'm using Xamarin I'm writing them in C. And if I'm using Java, I'm well, Android sucks more, so I'm <laughs> probably writing them in Java, but uh what XML. about what about Swift playing that role? That is I think is a great place for Swift, but yeah. you know, I I wanted to focus less on the individual platforms okay. and more on the core problem of I would like to lay out a basic system, right? A basic layout of screens. And I would like to have this intelligently deal with different resolutions. And I'm yeah. not talking just about mobile. Right. right. Oh, sure. Yeah. What, what if well, I'm on a desktop app and the guy resizes is, the window? Isn't this what Material's trying to answer from Google? In a way. Like, maybe not all of the specifics, but here's what it might look like. And here's, what, here's a way you can make it look where it's functional in all of those different ways. It is, but that doesn't answer to the tooling, right? You're still right. dealing with the shitty tooling. Yeah. No, that's entirely true. Right. But like, okay. doesn't it... Doesn't it solve a bit of a problem? Um, uh, it, I guess it makes you more it makes you more free. Both now in iOS seven, Windows Phone eight, and now with Material, it's it's all about using standard controls. Now you you don't have to come up with your own concoctions to make it look native on the platform. You know, it's all really just take the control interfaces that they provide you and just use those, and that's that gives you the best looking app. That at least 
makes addressing this problem a little bit easier from a design standpoint because that frees you up on some of the constraints there, don't you think? Well, I would say that frees you up on making creative decisions, right? Because if you think about it for app layouts currently, there's like four or five different layouts, right? At least for mobile apps that you can think of. There's that slide nav thing, tab bar, top bar, um, hamburger. table view, hamburger, less than slide nav, like hamburger, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, there, and then there's the, you know, and they each have a variant, right? So the tab bar one, tab bar on the bottom for iOS, tab bar on the top for Android, right? Why is there not just a freaking template in all these UI design tools that says, I need an app that's tab bar based, bam iOS have it has it still not perfect right I think but what I'm saying is we're seeing a transition where that could be a reality soon so uh, what the way it used to be is if if you wanted to look great on iOS you had to go all in on uh, what did they used to call it uh, the you know like the the leather and all that what was that called oh skeuomorphism yeah, yeah you had to go all in on skeuomorphism and now it's like you now you got to make it look as plain Jane as possible the more plain Jane it looks the more standard it looks the 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 that's now what people consider design, and so uh, and then you stand out in like these little tiny itsy bitsy ways. This stuff will swing back though, right? I mean, the well, I don't maybe it's this isn't this way easier for developers, and if it keeps going this way, then they could develop template systems, yeah, and honest, then it's. I, I don't think so. I I feel like this is like the seventies was wild and crazy, and then the eighties were a bit more conservative. So you think right? it's going to go up and down as design I, trends as the as they need to sell more devices and stuff? Yeah, I mean, right now we're in this weird phase. Where you know designers are being a little bondage-like with everything has to be flat, right? Before be flat. everything, everything had to be a texture, right? I say in a year or two years we're going to be at some sort of middle ground, or all apps are going to look exactly the same. I I see. I feel like uh, I I yeah. I think it's somewhere in the middle because when I look at it, to me, I think we went crazy and now we're coming back and we're sort of standardizing because everybody wins a little bit at this more simple. It looks better across platform. It's easier for developers. The platform owners, if they control things underneath and people are just using standard controls, then all of those standard controls get all the new look and things like that when they update stuff. So it incentivizes developers that way too. Like there's a lot of reasons now to have it the way we have it. So I think this new design methodology and philosophy is going to have a hold for a long time. All right, but I mean, again, we're, let's just backpedal it though, right? I'm working on a project. I pop open my little MacBook Pro. Yeah. Well, the core problem to, is how do you get started, right? Right, but that's what I'm saying. I need yeah. to design a layout. And I'm not even thinking for me, right? I, I Sure, I can go in and I could code my layout in XML or Java or whatever. Like that's not – it's a little disingenuous for me to complain about this because I can do it. But I'm thinking new developer comes in, right? Pops open his little MacBook Pro. Look, new rich developer apparently. <laughs> All he wants to do <laughs> is throw an email path field – Confirm email field, password, confirm password, login, register button on a screen. Well, right? this is legit. Like, I'll tell you, like, I've opened up, like, Interface Builder a couple of times and, and some of the other tools, too. And I've always been like, wait, you mean I got to do, eh, close. Well, like, Interface Builder is the best one, so let, let's use Interface Builder, right? This looks awesome on the screen. Let me hit run, and let's assume it actually compiles. Compiles. Let's assume he linked up his button correctly and all those fields, right? Oh, wait a minute, but I'm running a 3.5-inch device, and the keyboard just covered half my fields. Yeah. Well, do you remember Real Basic? I would rather shoot myself in the face, but continue. Yeah, I mean, but they had that kind of thing, right, where it's like drag, right. drag. But they, again, it, they had some templates, but... Yeah, so, I mean, the other, the other the counter-argument to me, 
to this is right. Mike, every time someone has ever tried to do this kind of thing, right. it is yeah. gone to shit every time. Yeah, that's the problem. And it, that's legit. That's exactly what happens. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to offend anybody. but Well, and isn't uh, the argument like, well, you can't put me in a box, man. My my app is unique. It's a beautiful bird. That is- so, in, in fact, the argument I'm making is that I'm finding more success coding these layouts. So, yeah. is, are these tools, do they suck not because the people or the companies or i mean glade just sucks but is it because they're not a priority are, are they entry tools for junior developers or even are these tools just to get you started and then you you're just expected to kind of go in i think that's it man and fix it in code like is that what it is because oh, yeah. then you know what then it makes more sense right because that's not what they'll say they don't that's not the promise right that's right. not what the messaging is but i think when you actions speak louder than words don't they it feels that way. I mean, like the case I just gave you, right? With the new developer, fresh out of school, pops gets a Mac, pops it open, wants to do some iOS development. You, you got to be kidding me that Interface Builder can't tell me that the goddamn keyboard is going to cover the field on the uh, 3.5 inch screen. <laughs> you think you would be able to know that? <laughs> well, and the best thing is, what is the default? What is the behavior that every single app developer hard codes in to deal with this situation? What is it? Uh, push, scrunch- push, push the screen yeah. up yeah, when you get to up. the next field, right? Yeah. So why is that not in the system? Right? It, it just seems like, yeah. is it like, oh, you know, you go to school and they have those classes that are meant to wash people out of the major? Is that what this is? Like if you can't figure out how to programmatically edit your interface, you're screwed? I think we're doomed. And also I think watches and these more like constrained interfaces where you're going to have to be even more boring and more right. generic are going to like make these tools even more blunt. Well, what if I'm on my Moto 360 watch and then I go on my uh, Samsung watch? Right. One is a freaking rectangle. Right. One is a circle. Oh, you don't have to worry. Uh, the Moto 360 just cuts it off on the top and bottom. Does it really? Yep. Well, that's terrible. Never mind. So that's actually worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me go and see if I can. Yeah. But I totally grok what you're, what you're thinking and what you're saying. And – and to me, I think it is a little bit of like, uh, well, once people get finicky enough and they want to do this, they just go off and do it on their own way. And this doesn't just apply to uh, uh, interface builder. It's all kinds of tools that are like that. Like, look at really like genuine system administration. Like genuine system administration, you eventually end up having to script just a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I, I, I mean, I spent years avoiding that thinking, oh, I shouldn't have to. And it's like all of the tools are here. And this is even this is very true. On the Windows side. That's why PowerShell has been such a revolution server-side for Windows is because now you finally have an actually good scripting interface for Windows, uh, which was uh, Bash's major, major leg up on Linux for so long. It just happens, I think. Well, I mean, and, you know, it's, it's good that you draw that analogy to system, uh, system admin because what is Microsoft doing, right? They used to be the lord of the GUI tool, and now they're like, yeah, you're going to need to learn PowerShell. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry. Maybe it's just like, is this just a training thing? And I don't, to be, you know, for the audience, I'm not preaching either way here. I mean, I'm certainly more comfortable at this point doing a little bit in these crappy tools, except for Glade, and kind of coding the rest of it. Like, I've been doing a a lot of Android. I am writing a lot. I'm not touching the designer. It's all in the stupid XML editor. Because that thing just doesn't work. Maybe that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, it, it's really shitty that I pay for IntelliJ Ultimate and the designer doesn't mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. But it, it's... Definitely disappointing. That, that itself, because that's very expensive. I don't know, Chris, if you know how much that costs. No, I don't. It's a lot. Now, those are like old school software pricing. Yeah. Per seat licenses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 You know, it, it, 
are we have we just become so accustomed to you know maybe the tooling doesn't do it for you right maybe maybe the rails hipsters had it right you should just be using vim and uh you know sublime text oh wait 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 you said commercial software oh <laughs> <laughs> he's everywhere yeah no he's pretty much got an opinion on everything <laughs> so uh it's good um boy man i think you nailed it too which is it's kind of I feel like uh, we run into this production-wise, too. It's not just sysadmin right. stuff. Um, there's a lot of tools where we keep trying to use it a certain way, I, I, like uh, uh, really fine-grained audio controls in Final Cut. Like They'll go on and on about the new audio controls and what you can do, but at the end of the day, despite all of the marketing, despite all of the documentation on it, all the stuff you can do, if you really want to you know, massage your audio and get in there, you have to round-trip it out of, out of Final Cut, go into another professional audio editing suite, you know, either record it there or edit it there and then bring it back into Final Cut. It takes way, way more time. It's totally a feature they say should work. It's one of the bullets on the box, but to do it right, you can't use it. And it drives me crazy because it adds a lot more time. Because if the tool worked the way they told me it would, it would legitimately save a lot of time and a lot of extra work. Now, let me ask you this. Do you, do you feel that, you know, because I, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of people writing in that just say, dude, can't you write a script to do that for you? <laughs> I just have something that auto-builds my uh, basic interface for me, and then I just take that and I uh, have my own template, and then I implement my template to put right, on the project. Right, like, like, can't you just kind of script your way to glory? What, do you, what would you say to that? Like, what's your... Oh, well, see, that's really hard because every job's so different that there's, like, uh, each, like, in our case, each show has its own unique production aspects. So there's just certain things that we have to do. Um, for each show that you don't have to do for the other show. So it, it does, there's no template really for us. Uh, each show does have a production template, but it's So you'd basically limited. Res- you basically respond with bang off. I mean, well, it's kind of like, well, duh, if I can automate, I automate where I can, but I also have to be realistic about automate, not automating where we can't. Like, Rekai's done a great job of totally automating the uh, post-encoding process. So once the file's done and it's, you know, it's, the, the master version has been written uh, to the file system, then a series of uh, scripts kick off, FFmpeg jobs and all kinds of stuff. You know, stuff that I used to do manually that was silly to do manually. So now that's automated. Um, and so that's great. But then there's other things that you just can't automate. What do you think? I mean, do you uh, – I, 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 I guess what I'm saying is there are, there are areas and times when it's good to work with templates, right? You've got to agree to that. Like if you can have a basic template to start from, you can save yourself a lot Ooh. of time. Oh, no, I, I think – you know, I think it's got to go either one of two ways. I think they shouldn't offer these tools or there should be more templates, right? I, I feel like if you're going to offer the tool, then you should be able to do standard stuff, all of the standard things that a normal app would, would deal with in the tool. For instance, the easy example is the 3.5-inch screen on the iPhone, right? And yes, you can do constraints, you can do that kind of thing, but those are not very intuitive in the tool, right? Right, yeah. Um. <clears throat> I feel like if you're going to make a tool and you're going to tout it as easy to use, it better be easy to use. Hmm. Well, uh, I can't disagree there. I, I had uh, I had one more uh, follow-up item. I mentioned I dropped it last week in the show, I think it was. Uh, I've, uh, I've picked up an iPhone 5. The great folks at Ting sent me one for this challenge because I told them a little about what I was thinking about doing. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying out iOS 8, and in a couple of days, I'll be trying out Android L on the Nexus 5. Right now, I just have the latest Android on the Nexus 5. And I'm going to give them kind you of a... monster. I know. I'm going to give them a side-by-side comparison. iOS 8 is definitely not at the daily driver standpoint. So I really appreciate 
Ting sending me a phone because there's no way I'd want to run that on an actual phone that I'm using every day because like the App Store crashes on me constantly and a few other things. So I've played, I've been playing with it for a couple of days. I'll I'll maybe share some thoughts next week after I've been playing with it for a week. I've I've primarily used iOS seven on an iPad, and so now iOS eight. Like some of it is the fact that it's iOS eight that it's new, and some of it's just that it's on an iPhone screen too. Okay. So, anyways, I'll give you my thoughts, and then I'll do a little comparison between Android and iOS. But uh, I already—I'll tell you things. A couple of things. I'm already pretty impressed with the performance. It's not like super fast, but iOS eight runs better on the iPhone five than I expected, since I think it shipped with like iOS six when it was a new phone. So the fact that eight runs pretty good is is kind of nice. Um, so there's that, and then there's some stability issues. But so performance seems good, but so far some stability problems. And yeah, that's going to be an interesting little experiment, I think. That's all I had. I don't really have much to... you have any tips for me? I have no tips. All right, you and your HTC One, that's fine. Okay, Mr. Dominic, well, I think we'll wrap it up at that point. Uh, we do want to hear your thoughts on anything we discussed today, so especially any of your insights on, on the tool aspects. So go over to Coda Ra- or go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click on the contact link and choose Coda Radio from the drop-down. Or you could go to coderadio.reddit.com. That's even better. We'll have a feedback thread for this episode, and you can uh, throw your thoughts right in there. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else you want to touch on before we run uh, for this week's episode? You know, I, I, I really, really hate Glade. <laughs> I wonder if anybody out there loves Glade. Probably somebody, right? There's always somebody. I don't know who, but there's always, there's always somebody. There's always one. Somebody's always upset one. right now. Somebody's pretty upset with you. Let us know. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact. Don't forget you can join us live, jblive.tv, noon on a Pacific, 3 p.m. on the East Coast. And uh, just time, just ready now for Michael Dominic's nap, I think. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Cheer me on. It's hot. It is hot. Uh, It is brutal out here. Mr. Dominic, do you want to send anybody anywhere during the week? Go to fingertiptech.biz. Boom. And follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chrislas. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you right back here next week.